Welcome to Rick and Bubba University. Uh, we've had a great time doing this podcast. It will be the last podcast of 2020. So uh, while we take a, a two-week break, uh, it'll be a great time for you to go back and maybe watch or listen to Rick and Bubba University episodes that you missed. You can find those a couple of ways. One, go to our YouTube channel, uh, and you'll see the playlist. Click on the playlist. You'll see all the Rick and Bubba Universities. If you are going to be driving and you just want to be, you, you just want to listen, just go to wherever you get podcasts and look for Rick and Bubba University. Uh, today, we, we go back to our Rick and Bubba profiles. We've been doing this show for 25 years. And today, Bubba, we profile James Spann. James Spann has been with us for a while, Rick. He is a very well-known meteorologist in weather circles. We have him on the show from time to time. If you listen to our flagship station, you hear him each and every day. And he's also a meteorologist, the chief meteorologist for one of our local TV stations. But he does such uh, a lot more than just that. So we're glad to have you on today, James. Welcome. It is my honor always to be in association with you two fine gentlemen. So let's talk some Rick and Bubba history because we've been doing that a little bit with the with the new podcast celebrating our 25th year. Uh, we've known you, you know, for for quite a while. But Rick, I used to watch James when I was a mere child. Really? Yeah, he's been on a long time on local TV. So first of all, let's give James a round of applause if you can see him for aging much better than we have. <laughs> uh, so so James, how did our paths cross? Do you remember? You know, my, my first memories of, of you guys, it's doing the uh, the Friday night football show on, on the radio. Uh, that warmed my heart. I will never forget that show. That was the greatest. Uh, you know, I, I've been working nights. I've been doing television weather for 41 years. And so I guess this was in some time in the 80s. And uh, you guys would do the football scores and the concession stand of the week and all that. And it was on a you know local station. So that's the first time I really got connected with you two guys on the radio, but I think I met Bubba with ham radio at a ham fest, which yeah. are magical events. Long time ago. You know. And, uh, it yeah. may have been at one of the weather classes, James, that you came over to our home County and held. And, you know, Rick, I went through storm spotter class. So I know, uh, <laughs> yes. I know my shelf cloud. Yeah. yeah. If I remember James, uh, you and Bubba invited me to a ham fest, but I was booked that day. I had to eat a can of rusty nails. And, uh, <laughs> Rick just doesn't know all the fun he's missing, does he, James? No, man, I'm telling you. We I, could have I, a podcast uh, talking about ham radio alone. Yeah. Would, I'm about to say, we, we could take this thing right down the tubes, but Rick's head would explode. Yeah, so yeah do we'd that. lose it. We'll do that when Rick's sick one day. Uh, so, But I remember that. You were talking about what you were talking about in Rick and Bubba history, and some of you may not know this. It was called Rick and Bubba's Pigskin Roundup. Uh, and Bubba and I would do a, a show in the early a.m. hours then we would sometimes go home. Sometimes we did remotes or whatever yeah. up until that time. And it really was the way that we've approached radio. You know, we, we can be a little irreverent about the industry. And so we did a high school football scoreboard show that made fun of high school football scoreboard shows. And as you can tell, and I don't know what this says for James, apparently you had our same sick sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It, it was the greatest thing ever. I mean, I just wish we had that show back. It, 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 my, it, it kicked off my weekend every Friday night during the high school football season. You guys were funny. I mean, and you're right. It, it made fun of these serious sports guys trying to do these things, you know, uh, but it, it was great. Sometimes well, they, you just have to laugh. They were a lot of fun considering they were 20 hour days, but, uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't <laughs> think we could have survived doing that much longer. But James, let, let's talk about your career a little bit. Kind of set the stage because we're 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 going to have people watching this who has 
have watched you and heard you on the show for many, many years. We're also going to have people who have never heard of you before. So let's set the stage a little bit about your career in weather and how you you got to the point you're at today. Well, my, I did not really think I would be able to do this for a living. Uh, when I was in high school, nobody, and I mean nobody, told me this was a viable career option, meteorology. So my first major in college was electrical engineering. Uh, but uh, when I was going through high school and college, I worked at a radio station in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, playing rock and roll music on the radio. I think we have Leonard a few Skinner. pictures of those days. Yeah, yeah. we've seen that. And uh, so – I got a call from the local TV station in Tuscaloosa. They had a little CBS affiliate, and they asked me if I'd be willing to come out there and do weather and some other things. But they were going to pay me like, you know, $190 a week to come out there and work and do weather and and some other stuff. And I'm thinking, you're going to pay me to do this, which is what I love. And as I started to do that, I realized this could be a viable career option. So I would wind up changing majors, and I finished in meteorology in the program at Mississippi State University. And I've been doing this for 41 years. Uh, I have been mostly in the Deep South. I did spend some time in Texas back in the 80s. I worked for uh, Channel 4, KDFW, which at the time was the CBS channel. So I have been through tornadoes, heat waves, droughts, hurricanes, floods, you name it. It's been a wild ride, but a great ride. And, uh, now it's different, uh, you know, and that a lot of folks don't get weather from radio or television, they get it on their phone. So, uh, it's kind of morphed into a 24 hour a day, seven day a week job, but I've not slept much since 1973. So it doesn't bother me. <laughs> so James, you still though, uh, you do your weather on a lot of just radio stations, right? Every day you're, you're syndicated in your weather forecast too, right? Right. I'm, I'm on about 24 radio stations uh, around the country and uh, still my core job. It's still doing uh, television weather for the ABC affiliate in uh, in Birmingham. But we do a lot of other things. Uh, we've been doing a show called Weather Brains for 13 years, which is a podcast kind of like this. We, we were podcasting before people even knew what that was. And uh, that's attracted weather weenies and dweebs and nerds and dorks all over the world to, to uh, gather around every Monday night to listen to that. So we, we kind of expanded our reach over the years. But uh, I, I, to this day, I can't believe they pay me to do what I love to do. So I, I cannot wait to go to work every day. You know, most people my age, they gripe about working and they can't wait to retire. I'm just the opposite. I'm just getting started. This is fantastic. Well, you you talked about this. So if you listen, knowing that you have syndicated weather updates that are via radio, and of course the radio stuff is all over the road, but a lot of it uh, is used in the in the wee early hours of the day. But yet you know that you know most every day, unless you're on vacation, which is very rare, you also are going to be doing TV local weather, which is going to give you you know a, a five, six, and ten sometimes or definitely a six and ten that ten is the one i'm focusing on here those <laughs> yeah. two worlds it's That's almost a tough, like tough match yeah it's almost like your work day consists of two different work days you're supposed to do one or the other so tell the audience because i'm interested and that's the kind of stuff we want to do on the podcast with this long form conversation what is your game plan to get the appropriate amount of sleep how, how do you do it well you know here's the one thing about life the greatest equalizer in life is time. Everybody watching this and listening to this, 
we are all equalized by time. We have 24 hours in a day. The richest woman, the richest man in the world cannot buy a millisecond. And to me, that's my biggest challenge. But what we do in that 24 hours, it determines who we are. I can look at anybody's schedule and really quickly determine your priorities in life, your relationship to God if you're a believer, your relationship with your family. And I've been struggling with this for a long time. And, and obviously to do things that are priority in life, you, you sometimes have to go without sleep and it's not really healthy. I'm sleeping about three hours a night during the week and that's not good. I'm only 24 years old. This is what you look like. When you <laughs> sleep. Uh, but, uh, I, I do better on the weekend, but you know, most people think, you know, all those TV weather guys, they're working eight minutes a day. You know, I see them on TV at four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock and 10 o'clock. And if you get out a stopwatch, they give you about two minutes and those newscasts, you know, these clowns work eight hours a day. They sit around all day and eat and pick their nose or yeah. whatever. But that—that th that is just a fraction of what we do. Uh, for me, the morning shift, and I, I do the morning shift at home, thank goodness, which is nice. But I'm working between 4.30 and 8 o'clock every morning doing radio, doing Rick and Bubba, doing television. I'm on television in the morning at my home office, writing blog posts, producing technical weather videos that are posted to YouTube and the digital platforms. And, and then during the day, I speak in schools every day. I, some people got me interested in weather when I was a kid. They got me interested in science. And the least I can do is return the favor and do that for kids today. So I'm in one to two schools every day. I prefer to do first, second, third, fourth grade. Third graders think I'm funny. Those are my people. I mean, middle school and high school kids, I love them, but they get a little weird. But after I do that, I go to work and work the TV shift and do the same thing. You're doing radio and all these external things. And, 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 and then on top of all that, all that, fellas, now you've got this 800-pound monster known as the tweeter and the face bag and the gram, social media. And it never stops. Never, ever, no. ever. And so I deal with that. And again, I'm not griping. I, it's it's yeah. a great way for us to get information, especially during active weather with photographs and video that are crucial to what we do on television. But it, it, we, we can reach our audience anytime and they can engage with us and I answer questions and, and it's fun. It just can be tiring. So you just learn to live without sleep. And again, I've got a family, you know, we, my wife and I, we've been married for 38 years. We've raised two boys and uh, you know, that, that comes first. And so it, it's a challenge, but time management is the biggest challenge I face. James, let me ask you this because you said you sleep so little. Are you one of these people that can get by with that? Are you some kind of physical freak in that way? Or are you sleepy all the time? Do you feel it? Do you, does it hurt? Well, I feel like, I feel like I'm cheating the system. The, the deal with me. So you sleep three hours a night and that's not healthy, by the way, I, I would not advise for anybody to do this. But for me, I'm a nap guy. I can take a five-minute nap, a 10-minute nap. I come out of there, I'm good to go. And, and that's what makes the difference. If I don't have the opportunity to grab a five, 10-minute nap during the day, a time or two, then I'm hosed. I really feel it that night. But normally, I'll catch that little five, 10-minute nap in my office, and I feel great. And the other thing that's helped is that I, I thought I was dying three years ago physically. I felt horrible. I was physically exhausted. Uh, I, I was overweight. I felt bad. So th there's a, a gym right across the street from the TV station. And our son had trained there when he played baseball and everything. And I learned that they had some programs for regular goobers like me. Yep. And so I went over there and signed up and, and I've been over there for three years. And that has dramatically turned my life around. 
Um, I'm doing a lot of, I do the weight stuff, the pure CrossFit, but I'm like yesterday we were running 300 yards and you get in there and you do burpees, you run 300 yards. That's changed my life. So that has really helped, uh, my energy level for, for, for a few years on that late news at 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, my mouth was moving, my brain was shut down, but now I'm fully energized. So the power naps, exercise and adjusting the diet a little bit, that's made all the difference in the world. You, you mentioned I actually uh, worked out with your son yesterday. We, we both found the same place, and I can give the same testimony. It has, has helped me tremendously. Um, and, uh, but I, you mentioned your boys, and, and certainly they're, they're young adults now. Uh, but during the time when they were small, so they, they certainly are your, you know, your wife and your children. You know, it's God, your wife, your children, then your work. But your work does, as you just laid out, consumes a lot of time. How did you make it work? Because I know there's people listening to this and watching this going, all right, I, I'm, a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. Uh, all of us struggle with how we level out what we do for a living, which we need to be good providers. It may also be like what we get to do and you do, something that you love and feel called to. But how did you balance giving your wife what she needs, giving your sons what they need, and giving your you know, vocation what it deserves as well? All I can say is, thank goodness we didn't have social media during those days. Right. <laughs> Our the, the last son graduated in 2015, and uh, you know we didn't have that. So yeah, I was doing TV and I was doing radio and I was doing the school talks, but not having that social media monster on your back 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that gave me the freedom to do what I needed to do to be there for them when they needed me. And I don't have any regrets. I look back on that and. And again, for example, you know, between the six and the 10 o'clock news, we have a nice break and it's six 30 when the news is over, I take off the TV suit. I'd slip on a coach's uniform. I'd drive down to the ballpark and I'd coach a ball game. And I did that for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, when, when there were school events, I wouldn't schedule a school program where I'm talking to kids. I would go to our kids school and, right. and watch them do their program or do their thing. So I had the flexibility to make it work. Uh, but again, we didn't have the social media phone stuff that we do now. The iPhone came along in 2007 and it was starting to kick in toward the end of our last son's high school time. But I, now I, let me tell you what, it would be awfully tough. But if it were me, sometimes you got to put the phone down. You've just got to put yeah. it down. And people that are asking me questions and wanting me to do things, I think they're, they would be understanding if I just publicly say, look, I've got two kids. Sure. I've got responsibilities. I'm going to need a little time away from this uh, from time to time. But uh, thank goodness we didn't have much of that going on when I was raising those two kids. And, James, you mentioned you do some of your stuff from home. You're, you're talking to us now from your home studio. And you've got that thing set up pretty good. <laughs> you know, I have a loving wife because she enabled me to uh, put a green wall uh, back here in my <laughs> office. So, you know, I can transport myself to the beach if I want to. Where uh, else I can you got, transport Jay? myself down oh, to the living Christmas. room if I, I want like to. Oh, Christmas. I like that. Yeah. Uh, or, or I can transport myself to the TV station where I work back here. So, that you know, is funny. Uh, That's good. And, and, and let me just say the, the chroma key color, it is basically puke green. Excuse <laughs> yeah. the term. Yeah, there's nothing it, it good does, about it. It doesn't fit into home decors. So uh, you know my wife is loving when she enables me to paint my wall in my office back here puke green. James, you know, this will tell you how long ago I worked in TV. We used blue back then. Yeah, I, I, look, I, when I started, we used blue. And what happened, you know, a lot of – 
ladies and some men have blue colors in right. their clothing, in their yeah. wardrobe. And uh, this puke green, most people yeah. don't have this. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> has that. That's they got a good color that you can't easily confuse. Yeah, the only person you can't interview is the Jolly Green Giant. Right. Everything else is fine. <laughs> James, in, in doing your job as long as you've done it and you're so well-respected and established now, you've had a lot of interns come through who have worked with you, and you've had a couple of famous ones, and I know one in particular. Yeah, you know, I'm proud of all of them. Uh, and, and again, it goes back to the, the some people mentored me. Like my greatest mentor was a man by the name of J.B. Elliott. J.B. worked for the National Weather Service, and he took me under his wing and allowed me to come watch him work, and he would teach me these things. And uh, I, to this day, I'm so thankful for, for J.B. Elliott. And I would like to be a J.B. Elliott to the next generation. So we started an intern program way back in the 90s where college students that are majoring in meteorology, these are atmospheric science students, not, not you know radio or TV people. These are science people come in in the summer and work with us for a couple of months. And uh, we just try and kickstart their career. And, and I've had so many great interns over the year. It's funny. I go to these weather conferences, these national weather meetings of either the AMS or the NWA, and I just look out over the. The, the crowd and you can just see all these former interns, which is just fantastic. But I think the one you're talking about, uh, Bubba, is a young lady we had in the summer of 2000. This was 19 years ago. She came down from Valparaiso University in Indiana. Brilliant, brilliant academics. I mean, her her grades were just stunning. And she, she was a hard worker, a little bit of an introvert, which is fine. Yeah. I, you know, really, most people on TV are kind of introverts, I think. Uh, but, uh, we knew she was going to do just great. Uh, she came in and the, the first thing I do when I get the interns, I don't take them to a radar facility. I don't take them to some science place. I take them to a Walmart in a working class part of the city to see how they interact with people. Because if you can't interact with people in a Walmart that don't look like you, that don't live where you live, they don't think like you think they don't vote like you vote. They don't look like you. If you can't interact with these people in this Walmart, which is a great cross section, then you have no hope of being successful in mass communication on radio or television. I remember taking her in that Walmart and boy, she aced it. I mean, people were hugging her. Uh, it, it was working. And so anyway, her name was Ginger Zeitgeist. And we didn't like her last name. We, we thought it sounded like something that should be surgically removed. So uh, we, we we just started calling her Ginger Z, and, and that kind of stuck. And she is now Ginger Z, the chief meteorologist for ABC News in New York. And you see her every morning on Good Morning America and in the evening on World News Tonight. Uh, so we're very proud of Ginger and her accomplishments and her family, great family, two kids. And uh, she... You, you talk about no sleep. Goodness gracious. My, oh, they send uh, her all over the country. I see them. But she's, she's, she also did pretty good dancing, too, Jay. Yeah. She, did you, know, you teach her any dance steps or anything? You know, what, what, what's, what's amazing <laughs> to me, you know, she just had a baby right before that. Right. And I, I don't know much about the female anatomy, but I'm not so sure you need to be doing all that dancing right after you have a baby. But she did great. <laughs> she actually got hurt uh, toward the end, but, but she came in uh, second place. But, yeah, she's very talented. In fact, I'm probably going to see her and her family in, uh, uh, next week. Uh, we're going up there for a few days, so we'll probably have lunch or dinner with them. So, James, you, the industry has changed so much uh, for, for us and for you. But as you mentioned, you know, there was a time when I, I, people waited on you to give them the weather. Now, because of all the social media, all the streaming, all the, the apps, everything, they want the weather from you all the time, every day, on the minute. And you talked about how that has been an extra strain, and you were thankful it wasn't that way when your sons were, were small. 
but also let's talk about how your industry and weather has now become a political football. Uh, the, I know, I know this is frustrating to you. We've talked about it on on the show because you know we we've kind of lost our way, and and once something becomes political, it changes everything. And and you've watched that evolution, and it is not a positive one. Now it's you can't even talk about weather sometimes. Uh, I, I can post a picture of a sunrise or a sunset, and they're fighting about Trump. <laughs> I can post a picture of, of a snow squall in New York City, which we had yesterday, and they're yeah. fighting about climate change. I, I don't know how it's gotten that way. It, part of it is just the simple polarization we have in this country today, and these extremists, just far, far extremists to have taken over. Uh, and really on both sides, on the left and on the right, you've got some right-wingers that honestly believe in their heart that the earth is flat and that every day you've got – airplanes flying over our country that are spraying chemtrails that are controlling our minds wow. and doing mind control. On the other hand, you have some left-wingers. Some have become a doomsday cult where they believe the earth is going to end in 12 years and their savior is a teenager from Europe with autism. And I'm thinking, wow, how did we get to this? I mean, m most people are are not even remotely close to these extremists, yet those seem to be the people that are in control, and that's all you see on television. And so everybody's gotten this polarized, you know, they're just polarized. They hate each other. And you can't talk about anything that's related to, to politics. And somehow, and I guess it started with Al Gore, climate got roped into politics. So, you know, you, everybody's hunkered down based on their right wing or their left wing opinions. And nobody wants to listen to the truth or the facts. I'm a numbers guy. I, I, I've been a numbers guy all my life. And I've been one of these clown. I'm the clown in the back of the class that is always uh, uh, raising their hand, you know, yeah. uh, hey, call, call on me. Uh, I, I've got a question. And we've lost our ability to do critical thinking in this country. Yes. That's one of the, the things I learned in school was critical thinking. We've lost it. And so it, I hate that. You can't talk about climate and now you can't even talk about weather. There are honestly some people that think weather doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it, I'm looking at my window. It's sunny and it's 45 degrees to some people. That's not weather. That's climate change. Right. Uh, you know, we, we, we have a rainy day. It's raining outside. That's not weather. That's climate change. Climate exists and weather exists. And it's it, it's there are days I just my, my head is going to one day my head's going to blow up. I, I, I need duct tape so it, it won't blow. That, that's how the flat earth people make me feel. Oh, James. my goodness. I can't even. <laughs> there's nothing I think. Or that we haven't been to the moon, people. <laughs> well, I, I think what frustrates <laughs> me and I know it does Bubba as well is now we're backtracking to things I thought we were done with that. Yeah, well, wasn't we kind of uh, settled with some of these we, issues? Weren't we settled on the earth being round, and weren't we settled on that? Since we it, have people that fly it, around it, it, even today on the International Space Station. It, and we keep going back as if – I really sense, James, and I know I have a feeling you're going to agree, I think that human beings are devolving. Uh, go, <laughs> go, know, going, no doubt. Going backwards. You know, and, and I, I, it's exposed because of social media. You know, it used to be you know, <laughs> some of this stuff was kind of hidden. <laughs> we <laughs> now see how you, nuts you, you we see are. it. Uh, <laughs> I, I often say Facebook sometimes can be a place of bile and weapons grade ignorance. <laughs> and you, you just think, surely people don't think this. They, they don't believe this. 
But uh, goodness gracious, I, I'm telling you guys, it's it's just horrifying where, where the, the chemtrail guys. Oh, man, it's <laughs> like I, I give a weekly chemtrail patch, a little pilot patch where, where if, if you're a true chemtrail believer, I'll just let you have it this week. But they, they'll they, I, I will put a picture of cirrus clouds up on social media, just a beautiful deck of cirrus clouds at twenty five thousand feet, cirrostratus or something up there that you often see in advance of a storm system. And the chemtrail people will just brutally come on your Facebook page and they will attack you and say, you know, you're a liar. You're a total liar. It's chemtrails. The United States government's doing it and you know it and you're not telling us. Go to blah, 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 blah. And then they start all this F-bombs and cussing. Oh, and it's yeah. just, they're horribly mean people. I mean, they're not even nice about it. James, so. I, I've missed out on some of the chemtrail people. I'm glad they've gravitated towards you. I think I got every single <laughs> flat earther. But uh, so so tell me, what what is the what is the deal on the chemtrail? What, oh, what do they don't think? Know, don't open no, this. No, I'm just saying just quickly, what, what do they think is going on that, that we're all missing? What, what, whenever they see a cirrus cloud deck or a contrail, a condensation trail right. from a high altitude, right. steam, yeah, right, they believe that the government is using that to either control the weather or controlling our minds. And, and this control, this mind control thing, is is a it seems to be taking more grasp within a lot of these extremists, where it's a government plot for mind control. Uh, and, and then the weather control guys, you know, they, they, the weather's never been this way before they've been spraying us for 25 years. And before, when they, when they weren't spraying us, we didn't have this kind of weather. Well, please, you know, the one thing about weather, we got climate records going back to 1880 and I, I, you know, I could prove or disprove anything you're trying to claim about. This has never happened before. So just don't even go down that you, path. You mean like I'll, in the... I will eat your eyeballs for breakfast. If you try that with me. <laughs> James, you mean like it's going to get hot in the summer and then in the winter it's going to get cold? You mean those kind of oh, crazy yeah. things? Yeah, it's crazy, crazy stuff. This, this never happened more than 25 years ago when they weren't spraying us back then. Uh, so it's, <laughs> well, and, and it's it seems to be well, – I don't even want to go down that path. Well, I, I, I love say, when you go off. And, and, I got, like and the that. problem is they're going to attack all three of us for doing yeah. this show. Not, not try, some chemtrail guy's listening to this thing right now, and he's he's getting ready to get on the tweet or the face bag, and he's going to look us <laughs> up and come after us. Well, here he comes on the gram. <laughs> well, well, but, James, you here's the thing, you know, Look, I'm I'm a good and I, I come from Calhoun County, Alabama. There's nothing Some about me. Some people say dandy. Right? Yeah, there's nothing about me that would be intellectually impressive. However, when I am able to discern when I hear this statement, today is the hottest day on temperature since 1931 <laughs> or something in the 30s. Well, it's the minute I hear that, then I realize this not, this is not unprecedented. No, it it, it has happened before. And it's happening again. So that's the end of the subject to me. You're not saying something to me today that has never happened. It has happened a long time ago. It doesn't happen often, but it seems to happen. And at that moment, then I can't really say since they've been spraying us, I can't say man-made climate change uh, of any, you know, that is causing this because you just told me that in a history of our world, that this has already happened, and then a, a, a many, 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 many years passed after that, and it happened again. Why, why do people not hear that when we say that? Well, again, the truth doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter to the extremists. And so, yeah, we, we've been talking about the chemtrail folks. Now you get into the doomsday cult people. Yeah. 
where they think the Earth's going to end in uh, 12 years. And and maybe not, not all are in the doomsday cult, but but they're moving in that direction. We, we had a tornado event uh, in, in the southern United States earlier this week before Christmas. It was very tragic. We had some loss of life. Uh, uh, we had people injured. Some people lost their homes here right before Christmas. But uh, I probably had at least two dozen people uh, across the social media platforms uh, get in touch with me at various degrees of anger, uh, saying, you know, what, why aren't you telling people this is caused by man and uh, mm -hmm. this shouldn't be happening this time of the year? This has never happened before. The earth is spiraling toward doom. And it's like, what's the matter with these people? You know, November and December, that is the tornado season in the southern United States. It's always been that way, and it always will be that way. For decades and decades and decades, back to the beginning of weather records, we've had these things. And now these people want you to get on here and say that this is caused by man. It's man-made climate change. And most of these people don't even live here. They have no idea what they're talking about. They have no training in weather, none whatsoever. And it's really frustrating, but they're being indoctrinated by what they see on television. They sit there and they watch these political hacks all day. Uh, on the right wing or the left wing channels. And that's all they're going to believe. They refuse to look at the truth. And that's the disturbing thing is the truth doesn't matter anymore to so many people. They're so indoctrinated into this stuff. And, 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 and quite frankly, some of it is at the college level. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, goodness gracious. I, <laughs> I, I can show it with facts. I can here. Let me show you this tornado that happened in 1921 on Christmas day, or this tornado that happened in 1933 in November, this tornado that killed 23 people in 1989 on November 15th in this place. Nobody wants to see that, that they'll say, yeah, well, that, that, that wasn't climate change, but now it is. And I know. So <laughs> I call that the, can't win. I call that you the, yeah, but argue with them. Yeah, yeah. I call it the, yeah, but somebody the asked yeah, you, but somebody asked you a question, you answer it and they go, yeah, but, and I realize, well, I can't even talk to you. I answered your question. James, let, let's talk a little bit about part of your job that some people would say might be your finest hour, and that is when severe weather is happening, and you go on live TV for sometimes hours and hours uh, when people are in direct threat from a tornado on the ground in our part of the country. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, it, there's some humor to that, but it's it's obviously very important what you're doing. You you save lives, and it does matter. Um, you know, we have a, a running joke here locally when we see James and he takes his coat off, and you can see his suspenders. That means it's Watch very, out. it's got very serious, and James is in for the long haul. But James, talk about that part of your job a little bit because that may be where you're at your very best. Well, th th and that's the number one. That's the most important thing we do, mitigating loss of life during life-threatening weather. And where I live and operate, it's mostly due to hurricanes, tropical storms, severe thunderstorms, tornadoes, and floods, especially tornadoes. And so, uh, you know, for years and years, I, I was throttled. You know, I, I was kept in the barn. Uh, you know, whenever we had tornadoes, they might let you go on TV for a couple of minutes, but get right off. Because you go to go back to the programming, because back in those days, there were three or four channels and, you know, they don't want to make anybody mad. And that was just the culture. And and I always wanted to do more. And I always wanted to do more. And, and I've worked mostly in Alabama. I worked in Dallas for a while. And all this time, nobody would let me do my thing. But finally, finally, in 1996, uh, I, I went to work for a, a new company and they let the horse out of the barn. <laughs> and they said, you go on TV as long as you want to interrupt anything you want to, you have full control. 
Um, and that changed everything for me. And I think for this market where we are, um, and since then I can look back on so many events and I can tell you that not me, but, but the communication process and the whole team that's involved, the national weather service, the broadcast meteorologists, the emergency managers, because of all of this work, there are people that are walking around today that otherwise would be dead. Now understand we've had great failures and, and often I talk about this day on April 27th, 2011, uh, was a generational type day for us. We had 62 tornadoes in my state on that day. And on that day, 252 people died on my watch. That's inexcusable, absolutely inexcusable for me, for anybody in our weather enterprise. And, and I think that day was our greatest day and it was our worst day. And to I will think about that day every day until the day I die. In fact, I'm in the process of trying to memorize the names of everybody that died that day. Their stories. I've talked with many of the surviving family members. That is very motivating for me for us to do better. We know that what we do, physical science, is not enough. We have to integrate social science, knowledge of human behavior for us to be successful. And we are working hard. We have a, the, the biggest challenge I got right now, guys, it's folks that live in manufactured housing, mobile homes, trailers. Most people that are losing their life. We had two that died in a trailer this week, a precious couple up in Lawrence County, Alabama. And we, we have to come up with some type of new product between a watch and a warning to give them time to get to a safe place. And all these things, that, that's the work that's underway right now. And it's going to not it's not going to be solved overnight, but we've still got a lot of work to do. And that's what motivates me. Well, I was going to ask you that. That was the thing I was going to bring up was, you know, 2011, April 27th. Uh, for those of you that live in other parts of the country or around the world that are listening to this and watching this, it really felt like one of those apocalyptic end-of-time things. Mm-hmm. It was just one tornado after another after another. They were going into populated areas. You could watch it happening uh, on your television. Uh, it was terrifying. And and there was, as you said, um, uh, over 260, 262 were killed. Why do you think it could have been better? What what are some things that happened that day? We know there were some a lot of very good things, but w- where did the system fail? Since you mentioned yeah. that was unacceptable, I, I, I didn't even talk about this day for for six months. I had nothing to say. I, I needed to go through all of the grieving phases, depression and anger. And once you got out of that, you get to work and, and let's get under the hood and fix it. We, we learned what happened that day and understand the warnings were excellent. The physical science could not have been better. And quite frankly, it wasn't that hard. These were supercell storms with hooks, debris balls, signatures a third grader could see, you know, on radar. Uh, warning people, it wasn't that hard. But something happened. Did, did people not hear the warning? Did they hear it not do anything? So we've learned a lot of the, the key failures that day. And the number one failure was the fact that most people thought they were going to hear a siren an outdoor warning siren. And that's what killed more people than anything else. You can't hear a siren during a raging storm. You might hear one on at three o'clock in the afternoon, but those things have never been good at reaching people inside a building, a house, a business, a school, a church. And we've got to move past those. And if we don't, more and more people are going to die. So, you know, every time we have an event, we push people to have a weather radio in your house and on your phone, have wireless emergency alerts enabled. So that's number one. Uh, Number two is the lack of helmet use. Most people that died on April 27, 2011, died from blunt force trauma wounds to the skull region. And this is horrible to talk about, but in those violent tornadoes, people are often lofted. And when they're aloft, the shrapnel, the debris within the tornado, uh, will often uh, give fatal wounds to the skull region. And if people would have had a simple bicycle helmet, a $5 bike helmet from a Target or a Walmart, 
or if your kids play sports, a batting helmet or a motorcycle helmet, they'd be alive today. And we did a very, very poor job of reminding people of that. I think we're a lot better today. I got so many pictures this week of people wearing helmets, which, which warm my heart. And it looks goofy. You know, it, uh, I said this on the air, you know, p- putting a bicycle helmet on me, it's like putting a cocktail dress on a hog. I mean, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. But this is for adults. It's not just yeah. for kids. It's for adults. And, and the other big thing was our fault. Blood was on our hands. The false alarm ratio was too high. Uh, there were too many false alarms back in 2011. The, the FAR was like 83. 83% of tornado warnings were false. And people told us, I hear tornado warnings all the time and nothing ever happens. And we fixed that. The, the FAR is down in the 30s now. We went back to basic science. So that's just three examples of the things that went wrong that day. So, James, um, I know we're getting toward the end of our time together, but I do want to – and we talked about it on the, on the big show, but I want to mention it again today. You have just written a book, Weathering Life. James Spann. You can get it at jamesspannbook.com. It's um, in paperback, ebook, and the audio book will be coming soon. And let us know, James, when that is finished. Um, yeah, just just re- released this week. It's okay. on audible.com. Okay, now. so it's there now. Uh, so so tell us briefly, because we have talked about it before, um, You know, th- this is going beyond weather. Certainly some of what we talked about is in there. But it also goes back to your life. This is the story of your life. And um, so someone who just heard about the book for the first time, Uh, Tell them a little bit about what you hope to accomplish with the book. Well, obviously, it's about Alabama weather and culture and geography. And and if you like weather, it's a great read because it documents these historic weather events I've dealt with over the last 41 years. Blizzards, the blizzard of 93. This is all the inside baseball stuff of what happened in these weather offices during these events. But I also wanted to, to just jot down my life story. Everybody's got a life story. Everybody has a very important life story. Mine is not important compared to others, but I see a lot of people that struggle. And, uh, you know, you, you look at Facebook and it looks like everybody's just, just fine and they're mm. healthy and they got all the money they need and they, they got no problems in their family. Uh, you know, come on. I mean, th- th- let's be real. We've all got relational problems. We, we all have financial problems. We, we all have health issues. And like many others, I've had a lot of bumps in my life. My dad abandoned me and my mom when I was seven and uh, never paid a dime. And I became a a low-income, fatherless child in a very challenging situation in rural South Alabama. And I just wanted to document the journey and, you know, the good decisions, the bad decisions, and maybe write that as an encouragement. The one thing I think people need more than anything else today is encouragement. I'm a Barnabas guy, you know, but Barnabas is my favorite guy in the Bible. I mean, this, he was the great encourager and I want to be that to people today. Cause I, I, you know, I'm one of my spiritual gifts is not discernment, but I can discern one thing. I can walk into the halls of any school, look a child in the eyes and I'll tell you if they're hurting and they are everywhere, no doubt. every school. And you, you want to know what's going on in their family to, to, to bring them to this point where they're just hurting. There's something wrong. There's something empty. You can see it. And so for people that are struggling, it's, it's, it's a good read or a good listen. And I just wanted to, to jot it down because I see so many people struggling. So an encouraging thing for people that are struggling and for people that love weather. There's a lot of, you know, there's a closet weather weenie in every household. <laughs> uh, there's always one. And we love them because they're the ones that are going to remind people, hey, we got a tornado watch or there might be bad weather tomorrow. So uh, it, it was fun to write and uh, appreciate those folks that have uh, gotten a copy. It's been great fun to write it. Well, I think one of the things accomplished with the book, and certainly the weather part is there, 
But and and I do a lot of men's ministry, and it is a fact that uh, you know the insult are are the the asset uh, that a man can be in the home. It's there. There's nothing you can do about it. It's either a blessing, or or it's uh, something you've got to overcome. It's a detriment. But but for some people that are in situations like you found yourself, hey, you can't just tell me that if my dad's not in my life, I'm doomed. Uh, it you know it certainly is an obstacle, but it's not an obstacle that can't be overcome. Uh, and I think you know you look at the numbers, James. You know them very well. The numbers of one parent homes are through the roof now, uh, and sadly, it, it's just I mean it, it's fifty fifty for a child to be raised in a home that the father has abandoned or to be raised in a home where the father is there. It, it's not the exception anymore. It, it's 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 equal either way. So there's so many children. Uh, that are being raised, sadly, without their fathers in their lives. And I think your book can show them, yes, it, it's hurtful. Yes, it matters, but it can be overcome. Yeah, I, I do children's ministry at a ch- large church. I, I lead children's worship. I, I mean, my my congregation, they're between the ages of 5 and 12. You, you adults <laughs> are just weird. I, I, I let you all have the big house. I'll take the little house. Yeah. Uh, but but we have so many kids that are going through exactly what you just talked about, Rick. And, and understand, this is not some inner city no. problem or some problem in impoverished areas. This is everywhere. Some of the nicest suburbs in these big cities you know, where there's a lot of wealth, you, you do see it where there's poverty. You see it with all different types of races. It is just across the board. Every socioeconomic class is struggling with this family crisis we have. And some of it involves addiction. Some of it involves some other things. But uh, again, you, you can overcome that and you don't have to be bound to your past. And I, I see so many people my age that came from my background, they went the way of their father. Uh, They were overtaken by alcohol or opioids and they abandoned their family. And it's this generational curse kind of thing that's got to stop and it can be stopped. And and again, goodness, I'm the you know, so far from perfect, I can't even see it. But my marriage has lasted for 39 years. My wife and I have a great time. We love each other. We've raised two kids and uh, you know, it, it can be overcome. So I think that's a big part of that as well. That just hope and encouragement. I love to encourage people. Well, the book's called Weathering Life by James Spann. It's available paperback, ebook, and just released on audible.com and uh, audio version as well. Uh, James, we have enjoyed uh, our time with you. I'm so glad you're part of the 25 years of Rick and Bubba. Um, just cherish your friendship and, and thank you for, you know, not just the way that you do your job, but the way that you live your life. Well, it's an honor to be associated with you guys. Love the show. Love being with the show. And just thanks for what you guys do. You guys are a great encouragement to me. James Spann, thanks for being with us. And thank you for joining us for today's edition of Rick and Bubba University.